Welcome. Yeah, okay, that looks like it's actually on there. Hell and, yeah. And I already do a lot of, um, let's say, unholy shit to this audio already. So, <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. It is Tuesday. I am Tuesday. And I am Sherman. Welcome to the show. Today, we will be discussing Men at Arms, the second book by Terry Pratchett in the Guards series, along with Mort, the first book in the series surrounding death, uh, the character, in Discworld. So, which one do you want to start with first? Uh, Mort, because I read it. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Then, I guess we'll start with Mort. You probably have a more fresh knowledge of this than I do, because I finished it, like, a couple of weeks ago, and you finished it, what, like... Like, two days ago. Okay. We'll see. Uh, So, yeah, uh, Mort is a good book by Terry Pratchett about the the good man death. I actually don't know what to talk about. I kind of read this in 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 a haze of doing, like, six other things. Okay. I enjoy... Death is a good guy. Yeah. Like... In this series, which you'd never expect, really, from the Grim Reaper. No, absolutely. In the opening pages, from a macro level, you zoom in on, like, Death's realm, and Terry Pratchett focuses on this before he focuses on, like, Great Atuin, the turtle with four elephants on his back, yeah. holding up the Discworld. So, here... This is the bright candlelit room where the lifetimers are stored. Shelf upon shelf of them, squat hourglasses, one for every living person, pouring their fine sand from the future into the past. The accumulated hiss of the falling grains makes the room roar like the sea. This is the owner of the room, stalking through it with a preoccupied air. His name is Death. So you open with an atmosphere that is... I feel very different from what you would expect from a comedy series. Yeah, absolutely. Which I think is necessary because this is Pratchett's first kind of meditation on mortality in the most real sense, because Mm -hmm. you're dealing with a character whose job it is to... Like, he doesn't ferry souls to the afterlife. He just kind of greets you and then says, all right, go ahead. But that's all he does. Yeah. So everything about this story deals with our eventual demise. <laughs> and in this one, he gets a funny apprentice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like Mortimer a lot. <laughs> Mort. Mort. But yeah, he's this farm boy um, who he, he kind of thought too much. You know, he was, he's a little too inquiring. And he's, some, he's kind of a clumsy idiot anyways. Yeah, he's described as uh, all joints. All knees. Yeah. He's too tall with not enough muscle on him. <laughs> and he he's like a, a marionette puppet with only about three strings attached. That's how I clamor around in the kitchen at work. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, and so he's taken on as Death's apprentice. That whole interaction is just wonderful. Because... Mm. <laughs> It's the stroke of midnight. So so Mort's dad is like, I need to get this kid out of here. Get he, him out. He is not... He's just going to cause problems on the farm. They're the ones that grow the wine that ages backwards, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, so... <laughs> you get the harvested wine in the springtime, 
and drink it, and then, like, these plants arise out of nothing, and then age backwards into seedlings, and then you have to plant it six months later after you've already drunk or sold all the wine. You see, and that's just why you can't have anyone who's who, around who's willing to question your logic. Exactly, <laughs> because none of this makes sense. <laughs> So he takes him to this apprentice fair, and nobody wants Mort because, as we said... useless. Yeah. (laughs) Cannot clamors around in the kitchen like a pizza boy. (laughs) So the stroke of midnight, this shadowy, paled figure with a bony hand (laughs) rides in on a pale white horse and says, You boy. My name is Mort, sir. You boy. You boy. (laughs) Shall be my apprentice. The horse is named Binky, by the way. Mm -hmm. And Death actually makes the comment that he's tried, like, skeletal horses and flaming horses, but none of it works. Because skeletal horses are uncomfortable to sit on, and And flaming horses are always burning down the barn. (laughs) Yep. So, yeah, when he first starts, Mort just gets put on, like, cleaning out out Binky's stables and shit like that, right? Yeah, exactly. He's brought along... Well, he shows up, he just cleans a lot, he's kind of taught how the world works yeah essentially so like this little farm boy from the middle of nowhere like even where he grows up is for farming it's still the middle of nowhere yeah yeah you're you're really out there dude yeah he's revealed essentially the secrets of the universe yeah <laughs> what what do you mean sir i kind of imagine it like the scene in christmas carol where uh the second spirit is like bringing uh bringing scrooge around the city and showing them all what's what yeah christmas present mm-hmm. because then he also shows him like the the horrors of the victorian underclasses oh yeah which Mort sees that type of thing too like the the duke of stowe hellet yeah yeah he's renowned for poisoning all of his kinsmen so the king has been taking all these anyway i bring this up in reference to the christmas present thing because mort sees some just horrible things oh absolutely essentially and like it's how history is supposed to work yeah too there are certain things like 500 years from now that have to happen and have been deigned to be necessary by the gods so i love the Discworld's like very exact fate even though like terry pratchett's a humanist Mm-hmm. It's very much about the tenacity and general goodness of people. Mm. So I find it interesting that in this, it's just kind of said outright that we don't really have free will. Well, yeah, but in this, this like this is a story about more kind of breaking fate. That's also true. So I, it makes a lot of sense for this one. But yeah, Mort, I think from the beginning, just kind of has this habit of not really killing people. Yeah, he hates that part of his job, even though that's like... That's the job. That's the job. He specifically hates not killing uh, one person, but we can get to that later. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I like the idea of the afterlife in this one. Death just kind of says, you go wherever you think you're gonna go. Okay. Like, deep down in your heart. That's probably what it is. Yeah. Which brings up the the question of, well, what if, like, some really horrible people think that they're going to go to paradise and Death's like, I don't know. (laughs) Things tend to work themselves out. So it's interesting that the Grim Reaper doesn't know where anybody goes. He doesn't doesn't know about the after. No, yeah, he's like, I mean, that's not his job. Yeah. And 
it's very much like kind of interacting with a little bit like a hostile system. It's like being on the phone mm-hmm. and you're on hold for a really long time and you get like connected to a couple operators that switch you off a bunch of times. That That's kind of what the cosmology of Discworld is. You're just on hold with the operator and that operator is death. <laughs> yeah, I can kind of see that because his job is to just essentially tell you tough luck yeah oh well you died yeah his job is just to break the news to you (laughs) yeah essentially because in this world gods exist only because people believe in them Mm -hmm. like the the way the magic system works is that things work if people think they work absolutely so or or things exist because people assume they do so yeah when so death sprang into existence like as a sentient physical being when the first creature became aware of itself yeah ever like crawling out of <laughs> the muck in the water like the the half fish with legs yeah and kind of made the thought oh th- this could end this could end and then death popped up and he was like well now it will <laughs> now it will. That reminds me of this scene in Jingo, where this uh, this assassin character with terrible dandruff. I think I probably told the talk about this last time, didn't I? Yep, assassin did. dandruff doesn't yeah. even know he's dead. No, you don't know you die in this universe. Yeah, because until until death's like it. Tough, tough luck, buddy. But uh, hey, I can recommend a shampoo that can take care of that dandruff for you. Yeah, it it's very much well because since you're still there, people take a moment to realize that you know, you're done. Yeah. Which I think is is comforting. Yeah. Because, like, a lot of the people in this are able to just kind of sit with it for a second. Which means, unfortunately, I mean, one would hope that when we die, we are going to have some forewarning. Yeah, that'd be nice. Of it, so that we can, like, come to terms with it. You know, maybe experience things in a new light a little bit. Make good with, like, put affairs in order. Yeah, absolutely. But unfortunately, not all of us are going to get to do that. Some of us just get killed randomly. Yeah. Or, like, fall off of stuff. Mm-hmm. And my general worry just comes to how much it's going to hurt. And so it's nice to know that I can just sit there with all my cartoonish wounds and be like, ah, oh, boo-hoo. Yeah, it's very comforting, I think, that in this world... Everybody gets that chance to just kind of sit down and accept the fact that they're dead or or that it's ending, which... That's nice. (laughs) Yeah. I I think that's why a lot of people enjoy death as a character. Pratchett talked about how he would get letters from like terminal cancer patients Mm. and they would make the comment of, I really hope that when I go, I interact with the death that you have written or something like it that's really nice yeah so the first character that ends up going out that mort is supposed to kill isn't it it's the count of a stove no it's well first off death doesn't kill anybody Yeah, yeah yeah he just makes sure that they die yeah there's this wonderful joke in there and he's like because Mort's like, what, you go around killing people? Me? Kill? <laughs> like, Death is outraged at the idea of him taking a life. No, absolutely not. <laughs> because other people and, like, strange circumstances and random just crap kills people. 
He just makes sure that they die, and he makes the comment, What type of bloody stupid world would it be if people went around killing each other and not dying? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. So the first person, like, on his own, or just generally? On his own, let's On say. his own, it's the head monk of those, like, silent listeners. Oh, yeah, yeah. The the guy that is just reborn all the time. Yeah. Oh, and he gets, oh, okay, and he's killing him. Yeah, so... Making sure he dies. Yeah, so the... There's this monastic order of silent listeners, and their leader is always reincarnated, and he always gets reincarnated to the same village. Yeah. So the monks always, like, come on down, find a child that was born, like, a few years ago on the very day that that the last guy died. So every time this dude dies, he remembers... That he's died a bunch of times. Yeah. And he meets death like an old friend and he screams at the top of his lungs. He screams at the top of his lungs and he's just like, I can finally speak and (laughs) talk to someone. He's like, oh, it'll be great when I go back. (laughs) He's he's like really jaded about it. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'd be pretty tired of silent listeners. If I, if I was the infinitely reincarnated guy. Yeah. And then the next one is the witch. I don't remember anything up until the... When it gets to, like, the assassination plot. Okay. But what, who's the, what happens to the witch? So, when you're... In this universe, when you're a wizard, or a witch, or a magic user in general... Yeah. It's not really mutually exclusive in this one. Yeah. You get your finger on the pulse of reality. Mm-hmm. So you kind of, at some point, you just get a feeling and suddenly you know the exact moment you're going to die. Yeah. And you can, like, <laughs> plan it out to, like, the minute. Yeah. So Mort shows up to this witch and she's put out hay for Binky to chomp on. And she's very, like, she's comforting Mort. <laughs> and she's the one dying. <laughs> She's like, no, no, it all works out. Don't worry about it, boy. Uh, what a young man. Yeah. Well, everybody calls him boy, and he's constantly saying, Mort. <laughs> like, yes, I know I'm gonna die. After her, it's Kelly, the princess. I had been reading that as, like, Keely, kind of like the dwarf from The Hobbit. <laughs> Feely, Keely, and Ely. Feely, Keely, oin, groin. Uh, yeah, so she's supposed to be assassinated. But... She she gets assassinated. Well, yes, yes, she is assassinated, but Mort doesn't do his part, and so people go around killing each other and don't die. Yeah, <laughs> and this causes a little, um, problem in reality. I love how, like, reality of Discworld seems very, like, not to be reductive, but video gamey, almost. Yeah. In that it has, like, a very stiff internal logic that everyone follows. And so, like, in this specific example, the princess is dead. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, should be. Um, and everyone treats it as though she is. That's why I said that fate is so angular in this world. Yeah. Everyone just will... She hires a royal reminder, or appoints a royal reminder to remind everyone that she's alive. The torches of Stohelet are illuminating pictures of her. <laughs> but everyone just keeps, like, 
unless sat down and convinced otherwise, they will just treat it as though she is dead. Yeah, people find themselves, like, wearing black and crying randomly. Yeah, yeah. Or uh, preparing funeral feasts, but not knowing why. <laughs> <laughs> the Duke of Stohelet, uh, who is the one that had to get her assassinated, he also killed her father. Yeah. Um, which is one of the first people that Mort sees die. He's like, I was expecting poison. Didn't expect the old arrow to the heart. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the old arrow to the heart that gets you. Yeah, the Duke of Stohelet is like this sadistic torturer, but he's the one that's going to unify all of these plains kingdoms. Mm -hmm. And important stuff has to happen like 500 years from now because of that. So this dude has to be <laughs> king. Despite being a massive asshole. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that's pretty on board for being a king, though. Yeah, kings suck. Yeah, Mort doesn't though. Nah, I like that kid. <laughs> I wish I had as many knees as him. Yeah, he's got to have like at least five of them. Oh yeah, every time he walks in this novel, it looks—it's just like a Zdzislaw Beksinski painting in my head. I actually haven't. I don't think I'm familiar with. Uh... Oh, Zdzislaw—he's a—he's uh, a really—he's a really awesome painter. He's like—he just makes the most fucked up uh, surreal art. He's dead now, but you spell it, uh... Fair artist? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm really good at writing his name because I play with a lot of AI art generators. Okay. Um, and I used him a lot to, since his art is so recognizable, if you uh, type in an AI prompt and uh, add, like, in the style of uh, Beksinski or anything else, but... It works especially well with Beksinski. Oh, yeah. I'm familiar with this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The one with the, the flutist with all the knuckles. That's yeah. that's kind of what uh, uh, what Mort's legs look like. Yeah. All, all of them are named Untitled, though, so, we, so the listener doesn't know what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, look up The Nightmare Artist. It, you'll get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, um... No, he, uh, cause he was, he survived World War Two in Poland, didn't he? Yes, he did. So a lot of his art reflects that, I would say. Yeah, you, you get a lot of that one. Like this, uh, like a million corpses Ma shuffling into a mouth. Well, oh yeah, I, I thought they were coming out of it for some reason, like a spew. But also it looks like there's, the way it is painted, you can't really tell what it is, and so it... All of the, like, starved out limbs uh, start to look like insectoid arms. Yeah. Or or this one, the, uh... It's a soldier's face, and you can see, you can tell there's a helmet here. Beksinski wouldn't really, uh, he'd be like, well, it's not anything. But I love the way he does his textures, like, on this face here. It looks as though it's like a mosaic of a bunch of, like, pasted in paper, as yeah. well as a painting. Or what it reminds me of, like, it's a mix between bones, but fossilized into catacombed cavern walls. It, yeah, I was gonna yeah. say, it looks kind of like a cliff face, because the way it's painted up here, it's kind of painted to, to have the dimensions of a face. But down here, it's completely flat. Mm -hmm. But the texture, yeah, I think it implies, like, a couple, like, a couple geometric, like, edges out. Yeah, it's it's almost like it's emerging from, like, this veil of mist. Yeah. 
This one's just a big tree. It's a weird tree, though. It's a weird-ass tree. A well, weird moon. Well, I mean, that's... This is obviously, like, the uh, gore and skeletons of it, but it could also be grass. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna yeah. say, it looks it looks as though it's kind of like a grassland, or, like, some kind of foliage. I, I mean, it's bright blood red. Mm-hmm. And then, like, spindly spiderweb crescent moon. It, uh, echoes the shape of the crescent moon right there, too. Yeah, exactly. Just kind of, like, emerging. Check this artist out. He He's wonderful, haunting. All of his work is kind of disturbing to look at, but it's very important stuff, I would say. Absolutely. Makes me feel kind of greasy on the inside. Yeah. In a really good way. Yeah, it makes you feel uncomfortable to look at, but... Oh, wait, one more, one more before we go, but get a look at this. Yeah, look at him groove. <laughs> Man, I can't even tell him how many arms he has. Oh, no, it's just four. It's the regular amount. Eh, but those could just be made up of more arms. That's fair. Yeah. I imagine, yeah, well, I mean, I think that that can be assumed that uh, the basest molecules uh, in Beksinski's world of painting are just like arms and spider webs. Yeah, I can see that. That's my favorite thing to do when it comes to any surrealist uh, artist is like reduce it in your mind down to like the molecules that make it up. I mean, sometimes you just have to. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, God, I, I'm a huge fan of surreal art. Some of it is incomprehensible oh yeah uh, as a whole you just have to look at the individual pieces all right mort mort oh as an aside i was looking this up <laughs> the other day do you mind if i go on oh a no yeah tangent? i'm fine you've seen curious archive stuff you know? oh yeah yeah codex and versus i did watch that one yeah well, that is a really incredible world Mm-hmm. Some of that art gives me similar vibes as to Beksinski, just from the more out of time weird stuff like the nightmare creatures and oh, absolutely, yeah, like the ones that live on the moon or something. Yeah, uh, everything from this world is really cool. It goes about magic in a lot different of a way than I normally see. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I love that cow with like the the halo. That's also just kind of like a nose ring coming yeah. out of the side. It's temples. I really love the picture of the, like, what what were they, the librarians? Yeah. I want to watch this video again. It was just... I've got to just go in and read more of the actual work. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. Anyway. Yeah, check out Beksinski. Check out Codex and Versus. Yeah. I think Codex and Versus probably appreciates the shout-out more. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Beksinski is, uh... Not alive. Yeah. <laughs> His later stuff, I don't think, was very good. Uh, he did a lot of digital art later in life. Yeah. That was kind of just like photo collage. Yeah, but interesting. I'm, but you know, if you're not, if you're too old to paint, or it, it wasn't that like, he was like experimenting with new technology. I just don't think digital art as a artistic expressive form. I don't think the technology had developed far enough yet for it to be really transformative. Yeah, for sure. Because that was still in the days of like really really janky cgi yeah i've seen some of his uh some of his digital work it's it's eh. it's interesting it's not as i think impactful it it just doesn't have any of the same texture to it yeah because you know in 95 you couldn't yeah yeah <laughs> best you could get was i mean you know what you had like windows 3d movie maker back then i bet he could have done something pretty great with that <laughs> oh god but yeah that was still in the days where you had to just essentially go in and hand create every little bit of, there, there was no simulation there was no rendering nothing you had to 
physically do all of it. Okay. So, yeah, we had just started talking about Keely. Kelly. Kelly. Kelly, yeah. Klee. Let's see. And so we we mentioned Cutwell, Royal Reminder. Uh, Where the hell are we? Death doesn't know that Mort messed up. Right, 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 right. So, yeah, he uses Mort as his replacement so he can go kind of have a vacation. Yeah, which he hasn't had in a thousand years. And so he just goes to Ankh-Morpork and starts drinking and uh, he's just kind of like the common tourist. He finds sublime happiness as a fry cook. Yeah. (laughs) As a very fast short order cook. Yeah. I could murder a curry. (laughs) (laughs) Death is pretty damn lovable. Yeah, he's he's just this big... How should I describe this? He has this childlike wonder Mm. about doing anything that, like, living things do because he's never been able to experience it he doesn't even like understand yeah no, he has of, no idea what he's doing <laughs> a lot of human emotion he's just very interested and he he doesn't get it but he really wants to be a part of it <laughs> yeah yeah like the scene in the patrician's birthday party where they're doing this universe's equivalent of a conga line no oh, yeah <laughs> and <laughs> so there's this lord and then there's death, and then there's a dragon, and then, like, the rest of the conga line, like a, a swamp dragon. And death is just interrogating the guy in front of him. He's like, what are we doing? Oh, you know, we're, we're having fun. This is fun. Yes, aren't you having fun? We are having fun. Yes. <laughs> this is fun. I am having fun. <laughs> And then the dragon's like, I need to get out of here. (laughs) Death is just like me. I also go to places and ask people how to be a human. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of had to relearn how to be a human after the pandemic. You see, I was, like, young enough when it started to where I was not socialized at all. Okay. Like, I basically got to be, like, an absolute recluse for my entire senior year of high school. I was in uh, at-home learning for all of it. A single assignment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God, because that started what early twenty twenty. Yep. And you graduated twenty twenty, early twenty twenty one, or mid twenty twenty one. Okay. Yeah, and then I like I didn't really have any any other reason to be outside for a bunch. Like I just had to go to work. So what? Half of your junior year and all of your senior year. I never did an SAT. Well, lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> Those things suck. Oh yeah. Uh, oh no, that would have killed me. Uh, my SAT score would have been two. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Um, God, and those are some formative years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you see, that's why I'm I'm sort of like you know st- stunted. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better, I spent three years. I don't remember most of 2020. That's fair. Neither do I. And I don't remember most of 2019, but that was a result of severe depression. So if it makes you feel any better, I spent around the same length of time just uh, (laughs) stunting my own mental development, too. (laughs) Death finds a calling in... Oh, yeah, fry cookery. In unlife, being a fry cook. And while this is going on, Kelly is trying her best to become queen before the pocket reality that she's in collapses. Because fate and the universe has, like, created this bubble around her where it's like, okay, everything outside of here, everything's going normal. Mm. All right? 
and we're going to slowly just encroach on this pocket reality of not normal until it's gone and we can just go about our business. Yeah. Th this is, you know, the perspective of the universe. Whereas Kelly's like, well, I've got the feeling that this is not going to last. I am going to become queen before I die. <laughs> okay, yeah. So she's running around trying to get everyone to remember her long enough to get crowned. Yeah. Mort is running around trying his best to fix the problem. And by fix, <laughs> I mean, break it a lot more so that Kelly can live. And just not make sure death doesn't know anything. Yeah. And then Death's daughter, Isabel, Isabel is trying to help Mort because she kind of has a crush on him. Mm -hmm. And Mort has a crush on Kelly. And Kelly is like, I want to be queen. Yeah. So it's not a love triangle, but like a love arrow. It's a... <laughs> it, it's reminiscent of... A train running off the track. Yeah, I was going to bring up... What play was it? I've read this multiple times. I have written multiple essays about this play, I swear to God. The Cherry Orchard. Mm, I've never read that one. It's one of the early realist plays, and I'm not going to go into it because it's really depressing. <laughs> oh, yeah. As it should be, because the main characters are a bunch of rich Russian assholes. Mm. But there's a similar setup among some of the servants in, like, a, a love line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A love chase scene. Yeah. One of them is into the other one, and she is into this guy who could not give a fuck about anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, death finds a little happiness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Smile. Good for that guy. Best character in, like, the whole series. Yeah. Death smiles a lot, though he doesn't have an option not to. How does this book end? Have there, we gotten there yet? No. There are so many endings. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I brought this up last time as well, but this one just... There's like eight scenes where you think it's going to end, <laughs> and then there's another scene afterwards, and then you think that's going to be the end, and then there's another scene afterwards, and it just keeps kind of going on like this until finally the problem is over. <laughs> the problem is over. Yeah. They or, fix it. Or what is it? Uh, the war is canceled. <laughs> so yeah, Mort and uh, Morton Death end up having a duel, pretty much, right? Yeah, because Kelly gets crowned, almost gets trampled by an elephant. Mort and Death have a duel, and Death wants to lose because he's tired <laughs> of doing the job. And isn't Isabel telling Mort, "Yeah, there's like no way you can win this. Yeah, either way, you die." Yeah, exactly. But Mort really, or sorry, Death really, really, really wants Mort to win. Okay. Because then he would be able to stop being Death. Yeah. And like then have mortality and live a life. <laughs> yeah. Because Mort kind of becomes Death for a little while. Because Death is whoever does Death's job. Yeah. So if you're doing the job for long enough, you'll just take up the mantle. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember that. But Mort can't win. He doesn't win. And, like, while they're fighting, they're fighting in the Lifetimer area. So, like, if anything happens to these hourglasses that literally hold the sands of your existence in them... Uh, you'll just, like, die. <laughs> oh! Just, like, straight out. So, this thief and murderer's... Hourglass? Hourglass gets chipped, and he just, like, like Monty Python in the Holy Grail style, just goes, Ugh! and then falls <laughs> over dead. 
Uh, there's one, this sheep herder's hourglass falls off of a shelf and he falls off a cliff and someone catches it and he miraculously lands on a tree a hundred feet down. <laughs> Death swings his scythe and like cuts a lifetimer in two and the Duke of Stohelet just croaks. So Death starts like looking at it like, hmm. And then uh, kicks Mort's ass. So that's what happens. Like Mort has a chance to strike Death and arguably win the duel Mm. but he's like i'm not gonna do it he doesn't want to be death forever yeah he doesn't want to turn out the lights on the universe oh yeah because he would just be stuck there like death is forever and then (laughs) and then yeah exactly so death comes up to him and he's like i am very sorry to do this and mort's like lifetimer runs out and death is like holding his scythe up in the air and then he just turns the timer over and the sand starts going again. So the ending of the book, Isabel and Mort get married. Mm-hmm. Kelly becomes queen. They agree with the gods to unify the nations and make history correct. Yeah. But death essentially argued to make history just a little bit more pleasant for people. Instead of, you know, the Duke of Stohelet, who uh, was probably going to torture and murder his way to an empire. Yeah. Well, all right. Mort. Pretty good book. Yeah. I like the antics in this one. I, I think we should start uh, rating the Discworld books on an antics scale. Any that are not the guard ones, they tend to get up to a lot more antics. What, uh, the, the guards get to more antics? Or? I know. I think these guys the, the I think these guys got up to a little more antics than the guards. Anyone with wizards is going to be a lot higher on the antics scale. Okay. So the antics scale is, ranges from 5 to 20, mm-hmm. right? Nothing really, a story can't really have more, less than five antics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, then it's just not, then it's an instructional manual. Exactly. Let's say Discworld novels have a base antics of 10. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Okay. I think your average Dark Tower novel, for example, might only have an antics of like six or seven, maybe. Okay. Because like a lot of stuff happens, but it's not wacky. <laughs> yeah, it's not, they don't, there's a little bit of wacky antics sometimes. <laughs> but it just depends on how Stephen King does his writing. <laughs> yeah, but it's all horrifying wacky, not... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I call this one uh, an 11 on the antics. Really? I mean, Mort's entire deal in this story is antics, but I don't know how heady the antics are in this one. That's fair. The next one is going to be like the next death novel. I started mm. reading the first few pages. Death is is sent a retirement card. Oh, hell yeah. So like he has a timer now. Okay. It, it's a golden timer, which means he's been moved from the category of immutable, immortal being to just God. Okay. Which and all gods have lifetimers. The amount of time they have left generally fluctuates depending on how many people, like, worship them. Oh, yeah. But Death gets this tiny little timer <laughs> that is <laughs> very quickly running out of sand, and he's super excited because now he's going to die. Hell yeah. Uh, so he can finally live. I think that one's going to be more antics-ridden. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I'm really... I, I honestly do want to read Color of Magic. The first one? Yeah. And just because of how much I like uh, Rincewind and Two Flower. Okay. I'll probably put off reading that one for a little bit. That's fair. 
I might read it for myself and just to see uh, if it would be any good for this. Okay. I would put this at like a 13. 13 on the antics? On the antics. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's pretty fair. And you want to tell me about uh, Men at Arms then? Yeah, Men at Arms. Have you read this one? I have not read this one. It's the second one in the Guard series. No, I. the way I read the Guard series was I read the first one for sure. And then I read like the sixth one. Oh God, okay. <laughs> That's the best way to read Discworld books. Completely out of order. Well, I'm reading them out of order too, but I'm reading them chronologically in like series. <laughs> you see, I just read at, uh, at like a 20 on the antics scale. I see, okay. I guess I'm reading at a nice 10 on yeah. the antics scale. <laughs> you were the one that told me the basic plot of this book. <laughs> Did I? Yeah, the gun. Oh, well, yeah, I knew that part. Okay. <laughs> like, I've least read the backs of all these books. <laughs> <laughs> Much to your possible detriment, knowing the back of the first guard's book. That's fair. I don't think I was cogent enough to, to, to have read that before I read the book then, though. I just dove straight into that thing. I had to do something instead of doing accounting class. They taught you accounting in high school? Yeah, like twice. I'm terrible at accounting, though. I have 54 cents in my checking account. Huh. I was not. All of my financial knowledge, I've just had to teach myself, which, you know, has been kind of a problem because I really like playing the stock market. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I play the stock market, too. I got, like, 25 cents worth of Steam trading cards right now. A king in his own right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm gonna get, like, one digital gumball with that. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, so I then I do know the basic plot of this story. It's that there is a gun. And it's the first ever gun. Yes. And the guards... What new guards are introduced in this story, are there? Yes. Okay. Uh, we get Cuddy, we get Detritus. Yeah. We get Angua, or Angua. 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 Okay. And in order of the names that I just listed, that is a dwarf, a troll, and a werewolf. Mm -hmm. And, oh, Detritus is great. I love Detritus so much. Oh, man. I guess I'll talk about trolls for a second then, because I noted this. There's a joke near the beginning of this book, and I will read it to you, and then I will make the joke much funnier, because I will explain it to you. Epic. <laughs> All right, let's go. So, here we go. To understand why dwarves and trolls don't like each other, you have to go back a long way. They get along like chalk and cheese. Very like chalk and cheese, really. One is organic, the other isn't, and also smells a bit cheesy. Dwarves make a living by smashing up rocks with valuable minerals in them, and the silicon-based life form known as trolls are basically rocks with valuable minerals in them. Did you get the joke? Yes. I noted it here. Silicon-based life forms known as trolls. I paused for a second when reading that because I was like, I don't get this. Okay. And then like 10 to 20 seconds later, I just burst out laughing almost uncontrollably. Wait, I might need you to explain the joke to me. Uh, okay. Troll dolls. Oh my god! <laughs> Silicon-based life forms. Oh my god! That might not even be what he is alluding to here, but but the <laughs> the plastic silicon troll dolls that were sold so much in the 90s and like the early 2000s and then became a lackluster series of movies that nobody really cared about and now is over uh, I didn't know advertised. 
I didn't know those two things were t- totally connected, if I'm being honest. I didn't know that the, the troll movies are based on the property of the dolls. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> I assumed they were just a movie about trolls. Nah. So they all have the same, like, like, the, like hair, hair, hair yeah. and, like, it's the same shape and whatever. Yeah, they got, like, um, the big toes or whatever. And one of them is, what's his name, from... I don't know, I haven't seen the trolls. From the Lonely Island. Oh, oh, I know that guy, but... I... Not Andy Samberg, the, Justin Timberlake. Oh, uh, yeah, that guy. One of oh, the... <laughs> that guy. One of the trolls is Justin Timberlake. You know, that guy from Lonely Island. <laughs> I, I, I can't remember the band name that he was in in the 90s, even though it's like the boy band. Uh... It wasn't in sync. Backstreet Boys. Oh, I almost had it. Yeah, he was in Backstreet Boys. Or maybe he wasn't in sync. I, I don't know. I'm sorry. He was in Backsync, boys. <laughs> if anybody listened to this show, I'm sure people would care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure we'd have a comment section full of very angry Justin Timberlake fans. <laughs> yeah. You see, this is why you shouldn't have a listenership. <laughs> so you can just keep deluding yourself. <laughs> yep. This joke, which I thought it was a joke, it might not be. I, that's part of the genius of Terry Pratchett, I think. You just don't know when he's joking. Yeah. And it's still funny. Oh, yeah. This is expanded upon because instead of being a throwaway comment, which I found hilarious, trolls are actually based off of silicon. It's an impure silicon, so their brains operate better at colder temperatures, Mm -hmm. you know, like computers do. Yeah. Oh. And then that becomes a super important plot point. Like supercomputers, there's a reason why they're kept super cool and underground and in these insane temperatures like quantum computing has to have temperature close to absolute zero it's because things run faster when they're colder Mm -hmm. that's why superconductors are chilled to absolute zero and then they can be quantum locked and hover and do all this shit and electricity moves through it with no resistance it's really really cool scientific stuff hell yeah (laughs) that's worked in to this fantasy race which you know, we talked about last time, Pratchett brings up pop science facts yeah. and then incorporates it. This is that happening, and it's awesome. <laughs> the, the This fact about detritus continues to be relevant throughout, like, I think every book I've read with him in it. So just one book. But, yeah. But this one too, apparently, and that's really cool. Yeah, like, detritus helps solve the mystery, essentially, by, like, finding certain things. So what is the basis of the mystery in this one? So there's this who's a lord that becomes an assassin, and only, like, the children of lords can become assassins. Mm. It's not set out right, but that's what happens. Yeah. His name is Edward Death. It's a lowercase d with an apostrophe, uppercase e, a-t-h. That's a pretty butchered last name. Yeah. So it's Edward Death. Eddie. Eddie Death. (laughs) And... It's just a Stephen King character. (laughs) I suppose. <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah. Eddie Death becomes obsessed with this idea that the ruling family of Ankh Morpork survived, and there is an heir to the throne walking around the city as a guardsman mm. because he has traced Carrot's lineage <laughs> back to the last king of Ankh Morpork. Also, that king sucked in a similar way that. Balazar from Dark Tower. Dark Tower. Drawing a three. Sucked. Yeah. Oh. 
like the same way Stephen King, the the, the Stephen King thing he does, where he, where he just the, makes the, the bad the, guy a pedophile. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Damn. Did you not manage? Notice that? I did oh. I did not. Well, I didn't read this one, remember? Oh, yeah. It's a throwaway thing. Carrot is like, the last king, I, I saw an image, uh, a painting of him once. He was king name, uh, the caring, uh, and in the painting is surrounded by children. And Vimes just makes the comment, well, yes, he, he was very fond of children. Mm, no. <laughs> yeah. And then the kings were overthrown and whatever. Anyway, Carrot is the heir to the throne. Okay, I do remember that. Carrot does not like this. <laughs> yeah. That kind of aligns with his personality pretty well. He's like, uh, people shouldn't listen to me just because I'm Carrot. Even though people listen to him just because he's Carrot and everybody likes him. Fair enough. <laughs> so Edward F makes this harebrained scheme to cause an uprising to be able to put Carrot on the throne. And we're essentially told his plan, like straight out. It plays out like an episode of Columbo mm-hmm. until it doesn't. Of course. Yeah. Have you watched any Columbo? I'm familiar with the the setup. Okay. Yeah. In every episode, you watch the crime happen. Oh, okay. Like the first 10 or so minutes, you watch the bad dude commit the crime mm-hmm. and like you see every detail of how he goes about it. And then Columbo shows up and he has to figure out the crime. And there's this just wonderful dynamic of us knowing that this guy is guilty and watching Columbo break down the criminal's story and facade. Okay. It's it's really cool to watch. No other show, I think, has done it. Or if they have, they haven't done it in the same way. And Columbo's great because he gives the appearance of the disheveled, like, incompetent, stupid oh, cop. Oh, cop. Yeah. Uh, He has, like, a tie that is always tied incorrectly and it's always loose because like the back bit of the tie that you use to like cinch it up is uh, like longer than the yeah, front bit is longer than the front bit even though the tie is loose <laughs> and he's very frequently got a stain on it he's always like smoking um he drives around like this beat up old car <laughs> he wears like the trench coat and his suit is unbuttoned and he he looks like if the word disheveled was a personification it would be columbo but he does this to like throw people off there's this gag that he'll constantly do and he's like oh yeah yeah thank you and then i'll walk away and when the person is but one more thing yeah oh uh, one more thing (laughs) he does that all the time and they do that twice in this book two different characters do it wow vimes does it with the head of the assassins after the gun gets stolen and then carrot does it later with the clowns okay oh and the clowns are super depressing oh the clowns yeah the guild of clowns oh right okay what (laughs) oh yeah the clown guild (laughs) yeah comedy is a very serious matter you know of course of course yeah yeah I just wonder what the what the purpose of the guild of clowns is. Well, well, you can't go clowning unofficially. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. it's like it's why thieves that aren't part of the guild usually get beaten. Oh, of course. Yeah. By by the guilds generally. Yeah. 
Uh, same thing. You, you can't be a clown because clowning is very serious. People train their entire lives to be clowns. Uh, yeah, of course, of course. You shouldn't yeah. just go clowning around, you know, all willy-nilly. Exactly. God, whenever they walk into the clown guild, it's always described as, like, the most depressing place ever. <laughs> because they're all trying to be funny constantly. Oh. Yeah. Wow, yeah, I was gonna say, what about the guardhouse? Nobby lives there. <laughs> Everybody thinks Nobby's a dwarf now that Cuddy is part of the team, but... No, it's like the Clown Guild gives off big Amy Schumer vibes. Mm, oh, of course, of course. Yeah. Always a joke for everything. Always a little bit of poor taste. Just and it, Yeah, and it's never funny. Yeah. Uh, is that still a cogent reference? I think so. Okay. I think the, the bad comedian that instantly comes to mind nowadays is like Dave Chappelle. That's for different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I can't really sp- speak to the the goodness of his comedy. I'm not... Dave Chappelle, I think, is pretty funny. But he's he's got some pretty <laughs> unfunny takes. He's like Bill... M- Bill Mayer. Or Bill Maher. I'm, oh, that's not who I was thinking no, of. No, I was thinking of John Mayer and Bill Maher. John Mayer also doesn't seem like the best of dude. Love listening to his music. Fair enough. Yeah. I was thinking Bill Hicks when you said Bill and in the context of comedian. Yeah, no. Bill Maher. Oh, he's just really gone center right. <laughs> I would I've, say. I've, heard he, I've heard he's not the best, but I, I, I don't have any specific example. He's done that thing that rich people do, wherein, like, the richer you get, the more center right oh, you get. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dave Chappelle kind of went that way, too. So, both funny. Bill Maher less so nowadays. I still think Dave Chappelle is pretty funny. He just is also an idiot and should shut up about social issues. Yeah. Comedy. Ayo. They're all trying to just be George Carlin. George Carlin. Yeah, they're all trying to be him. What were we talking about? Men at Arms. The Clown Guild shares a wall with the Assassin's Guild. And being inside the Clown Guild is described as being more depressing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's life and death, but death is the Clown Guild, and life is just, you know, the assassin is alive after they kill the guy. Yeah. Oh, man. I would not want to hang out in the Clown Guild. No, absolutely not. It's all water squirting out of fake lapel pins and pies to the face and big ol' shoes. The clowns think that their painted face is their real face. Wow. Yeah. I would league up with the Assassin's Guild, like, before I even walked in the Clown Guild's door. (laughs) Yeah, that's an important plot point. Clowns only see each other uh, as what their painted makeup face is. Is the murderer a clown in this one? I mean, I imagine it's Eddie Death. It's Death. It's Eddie Death. Edward Death steals the gun, dresses up as a clown, so kills a clown, dresses up as that clown, and since Mm. clowns only see what the makeup is, and they can't imagine anybody putting on a clown's makeup, because that would be, like, ripping their face off and putting it on to their own face. No, yeah, that'd be absurd. Yeah. Eddie Death is able to walk in through the front doors of Clown College, wearing bofo... No, wearing Beano the Clown's Not Beano. <laughs> face, cut a hole in through the wall into his own room in the Assassin's Guild. All right, put on his assassin clothes, walk out, blow a hole into the museum that houses the gun, steal the gun, walk as an assassin, go into his own, own room, go back into the clown school, put on the makeup again, 
walk out as a clown <laughs> and escape scot-free and then go on a killing spree. How? Um, you got a messenger from the king today. He says you need to show up to the palace as Pendragon and, uh, I don't remember what the scene is exactly, but that's, that's very akin to the plot of Howl's Moving Castle. <laughs> Except opposite. It's not some guy who's two different guys has to be in the same place. It's just a horrifying web of places and guys. Yeah. Oh, man. Then there's Bofo the Clown. <laughs> Bofo these nuts. I was gonna say it if you weren't. <laughs> Bino, the, Bino these nuts. So Bofo is the one that helps Carrot kind of crack the case. Yeah, the patrician tries to get Vimes to investigate, mm. even though the assassins don't want Vimes to investigate. No, yeah. And they come to... The patrician to tell him, hey, we'll handle this. Don't let Vimes investigate. And the patrician is like, I know exactly how to make him not investigate. I'll tell him not to investigate. But it's off limits. Knowing full well that every time he tells <laughs> Vimes not to do something, Vimes does it. Because with gusto. He, yeah, with gusto. Because he was told not to. <laughs> but... The patrician goes a little too far. He tells Vimes not to investigate too hard, so Vimes actually just gives up <laughs> and enters into this fugue state of alcoholic depression. I don't think I've ever seen one of the patrician plans works like work like that before. Yeah, but in doing this, it actually makes Carrot really want to investigate. Hmm. So, <laughs> oh, I've got to get Vimes out of this depressive state. I'm going to solve the murders. <laughs> it's like that image, you used the wrong formula but got the right answer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Carrot is running around with Angua and Detritus and Cuddy make amends because one's a dwarf and one's a troll and they yeah, hit each other. I'm sorry I hit you with a pickaxe. <laughs> I'm sorry I hit you with a war club. Yeah. There's a whole lot about race and ethnic integration in this uh, in this book. No, oh, Absolutely. I don't know if all of it lands. Really? Yeah. Fair enough. Any, does anything stick out as particularly having not land? No. Um, there are a lot of times where they're like, a copper is a copper, and he or she is different than whatever like race or ethnic background they come from. Mm. And there, there feels like some kind of statement there because Cuddy starts making comments about how you can't trust dwarves. <laughs> because he is a dwarf and he's like they'll bite your kneecaps off <laughs> um and detritus who is a troll starts making comments about how trolls are stupid and violent and worthless so i don't know if that's a comment on like how police act towards minorities in general like yeah. like how despite even possibly being one of those minorities or if that's a comment on how stupid racism is i, th I it know. sounds a lot like the first thing you said yeah that's how it read to me not read i didn't read the book i'm not <laughs> trying to i'm not trying to take credit for something i didn't do i don't know carrot makes comments about how he d just doesn't trust like the undead and vampires mm, yeah um, all right where where were we in this one? You had just gotten through the, the Machiavellian workings of this dude costume switch uh, habit. Yeah, and then a bunch of murders happen. Of course. And then eventually... Spoilers now. Spoilers! <laughs> it eventually, Cuddy and Detritus, and then they bring Carrot, find Edward Death's body. 
Oh, come on. I haven't read it yet. He's just dead in a sewer. Oh, damn. Okay. Yeah. Now, now, that, now, now it's a real mystery. Yeah. So this is the point where it's no longer playing out like Columbo because the dude we saw do the crime is dead. Yeah. And crime is still afoot. Do they find the gun with the body, or is no the, gun, the gun's gone? The gun is gone. Okay, and and death has been shot, or Edward Death. Okay, has been shot. I was like, oh my god, they killed Death. No, my boy. <laughs> that would be terrible. They can kill Mort, but <laughs> Mort very nearly dies a few times. That sounds about right for his deal. But no, Edward Death is found ganked. Yeah, Ed ganked in a sewer. Yeah. Because it turns out that Edward D.F., and this is definitely a comment on, like, American gun culture. Oh, yeah. Uh, when he picked up the gun, he got, as how uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia describes it, the gun fever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. It was like the gun was calling to him and it needed to shoot people. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and death explains to as it turns out the head assassin oh yeah he's like i didn't kill him i didn't kill him the gun killed him it told me to (laughs) you know what that there is something to be said about that mindset towards weapons my stepdad salvatore uh used to work in uh in a museum Mm -hmm. as like the guy as an installation guy and he was moving this like uh this medieval history exhibit right and he picks up this gigantic halberd. Yeah. And he's like, man, my only instinct was to destroy with that thing. <laughs> that kind of power, it, it has an influence over you. Yeah, like, it turns out that the guy who's been just killing people, most of them, yeah. has been the head assassin, Dr. Crucius. Yes, character I'm very familiar with. Yeah, he was a minor character in the first Guards book and then dies in this one, so... Oh, okay, all right. Yeah. So Dr. Crucius, he describes having power in his day job, which is being lead assassin, but with the gun in his hands, he's, like, sitting on this rooftop, aiming down the sights of the patrician. He's like, with the gun in my hands, I'm a god, you know? Which... Of course. Which, again, this is a comment on American gun culture, like, very poignantly. I, like, I haven't had the opportunity to shoot rifles or anything like that. Mm. But I was in the Boy Scouts oh, when, yeah. when I was younger. I shot BB guns. I uh, I have a bow and arrow in my garage that I use for target practice sometimes. There is a power that you feel you you take something that is destructive oh yeah and, and suddenly you feel kind of destroyer about it yeah it's it, it's interesting like s- something fits right yeah. in your hand and like this little thing clicks in your brain and you're like i can do anything with this right now yeah i get that feeling a lot when i pick up a really good stick in the woods <laughs> yeah it's it's like the the primal urge to just like hit something with a stick. Yeah, yeah. You, you turn that up, the more powerful the weapon is. I need a sharpened stick. I don't know. That's why I don't really. When people say guns don't kill people, people kill people. Yeah. Yeah, but that's like a reductive understanding of what's going on. Yeah. You're not taking into account the psychological effect of the power that you're holding when you pick up something that destructive. Yeah, or the responsibility you're taking on. Exactly. Like, there's a reason why, ideally, there's this very strict rule of combat in the military. Mm. 
because it's essentially just beaten into you through practice and repetition and just this grueling labor to kill and destroy. Yeah. Um, and then you're given the tools to be able to do that en masse. But that's why along with that, you get this stringent chain of command and all of these rules of engagement to be able to make sure that you're only doing that when is absolutely necessary or when you are told to. Yeah. Because if you're given the power to do something crazy, the basic human mind is just going to want to do something crazy. Yeah. Because I don't know about you, but I like adrenaline. I think most people would be pretty clueless with a gun in their hands. I don't think most people come with the drive to do that kind of thing. Really? No, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people who would, but, you know, I, I at least hope that at the at the baseline of our conscious, there is the, the hope that we will all cooperate. But, yeah, I understand that with some people, it's just not there. Yeah, and, I mean, it's not even that you'll pick up something powerful and destructive and use it. Yeah. It's just that it... It gives you a feeling of power to hold it. Absolutely. So even if you're not going to do anything with it, it kind of feels good to have that feeling of possibility. Absolutely. So anyway, Carrot doesn't give a shit. Yeah, Carrot Carrot don't got no gun. Yeah, well, he picks it up. And, oh. and and Vimes is like, don't do it, don't do it, it'll change you. And Carrot's like, what, this whole thing? And then he snaps it in half. Nice. <laughs> like, because nobody else was able to destroy it. Oh, because everyone else just wanted it for themselves. Yeah, because everyone, when they picked it up, I'm going to destroy it, I'm going to destroy it. Oh, <laughs> oh nice. <laughs> no, I'm going to shoot it now. <laughs> How does the gun actually like fire in this one what kind of gun is it it's like a version of like a bolt action rifle okay essentially so you've got essentially like a flute of casings all welded together and there are bullets in them and you jam that into the firing mechanism and you fire and then turn a latch and it moves the flute through to the next one and then you fire and then you turn a latch and it moves the flute through to the next oh, one. Oh, okay. Wait, so, so like a, a horizontal like loading mechanism? Yeah. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm kind of familiar with that kind of gun actually. Mm -hmm. But it very much gave me like reminiscent of like the World War One with the Remingtons mm. uh, that most soldiers used. There's a really inefficient version of those where, where it is like a huge horizontal like loading thing that goes through the side of the gun. Yeah. But it would just imbalance your shot because <laughs> yeah. because it's like <laughs> yeah yeah no w which is why it it was mainly like a vertical model yeah that you would just load it uh in from the bottom and then yeah like how guns are well yeah <laughs> and then the guard gets a bunch of perks at the end because they save the patrician's life yeah again <laughs> yeah they are they keep doing do they have anyone but nabi ask for the for the rewards this time <laughs> carrot asks for the rewards this time all right that's good and he gets promoted to captain nice uh and vimes gets promoted to commander of the watch so mm. he's above all the captains hell yeah and that's more of a political role, which means that he has to... So he gets married, he becomes a lord in this one, mm -hmm. and now he has to go around and be political and go to, like, social gatherings and wear nice clothes and stay washed and not be drunk all the time. Yeah, I, there's a lot <laughs> about that in uh, Jingo as well. Okay. And, and when the patrician brings this up to Carrot, they both kind of, like chuckle about it because <laughs> they're like he's gonna hate this <laughs> i enjoyed it 
It sounds like a really good one. I've really admired the premise for this one for a long time. I don't know why I haven't picked it up sooner. I don't know why I still haven't picked it up. (laughs) The only reason I read most of this in the space of like three days. The only reason why I didn't was because we postponed recording this. Yeah. And then kind of wanted to make some progress in the Wheel of Time. Of course. Um, So I just was switching back and forth between this and that. Uh, this episode should be titled Bofo D's Nuts <laughs> God. or Bino D's Nuts, whichever you prefer. This has been the show. <laughs> As always, it is Tuesday. You can find me on YouTube at I am Tuesday. I am Sherman, and uh, you can find me on Instagram as uh, at St. Toral. I hope you have a wonderful day. I don't. That's horrid. Love you. (laughs) Bye.